Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and I'm thrilled to launch season three with Dr. Mark Brackett, my guest who is the founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. He's a professor at the Child Study Center at Yale School of Medicine, and he's been a researcher for over 20 years, focusing on the role of emotions and emotional intelligence in learning decision-making, creativity, relationships, health, performance, you name it. And he wrote an amazing book called Permission to Feel, which really helps us learn about teaching emotion skills to enhance well-being for ourselves and our kids. So that's our conversation today. And we can use it to inspire us with the intention of raising and being compassionate emotion scientists in 2023. If you enjoy this episode, take a moment. I know there are so few of them, but write a little review and give a rating preferably five stars, DM me with any questions at Raising Good Humans podcast. And of course, if you feel so inclined, I have a fantastic new season of Raising Good Humans podcast premium. It's all about building resilience and you can find it on Apple Podcasts. Happy New Year, everyone. You have strategies that we can all use for ourselves and for our kids to go through to figure out how to give ourselves permission to feel and what we do with that. And I would love to go through those strategies and then we can talk about what are some of the barriers that you notice for parents Mm -hmm. trying to support their kids' emotional thriving? What are some of those barriers for our own relationship with feelings? I often think about the work that I do as having these principles. And, you know, one principle is that emotions are data, emotions are information. And I think a lot of parents, a lot of people see emotions as disruptive, not as data. And so I think the misunderstanding is that the emotion system makes us quote unquote dumber when in fact the emotion system makes us smarter. And so I think people need to understand why emotions matter, that they're the drivers of our attention, our decisions, our relationships, our health, and our performance. Another related kind of challenge is that I've just noticed that, you know, we grow up in a society where we see emotions as good or bad. 
Yeah. That, you know, happy, excited, content, tranquil, peaceful, jubilant, right? That's all good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, stress, pressure, fear, overwhelmed, down, disappointed, devastated, hopeless, right? Is all the bad stuff. And that's misinformation, right? All emotions are beneficial. You know, during the pandemic, the anxiety levels of people skyrocketed for good reasons. And like, why would I tell people not to feel anxious when it, you know, you're, you know, windexing your grapefruits, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, like there's like a lot of uncertainty right now. So it's okay to be anxious. And I think that relates to, you know, the, the term that you just used, which is the title of my book, which is permission to feel that we need to give ourselves and everyone we love and even the people we don't love so much, right? The permission to be their true, full feeling selves. But yet we as a society, because we think that emotions are bad, that they're disruptive, we don't give people the permission to feel. We tell people to suck it up, get over it, move on, tuck, you know, toughen up. And that's never helpful for healthy development, as you would know. And then I think also, you know, I have a term that I use, which is being an emotion scientist versus an emotion judge. And so I have a goal, which is to create a world filled or full of Mm. compassionate emotion scientists as opposed to critical emotion judges. I love that. I say, which is so annoying to my children at this point, but all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. I often will say, you know, that you want to, I mean, I'm not the only one, but that you want to, for example, regulate your nervous system so that you can get back into good decision-making in your thinking brain, your wizard mm-hmm. brain, your lizard brain language. Yep. But in fact, what you're, from, the, from what you're saying, and it's not that I haven't thought, and I think this field recognizes that emotions are data, but it never occurred to me the messaging and saying you need to get back to your thinking brain because the implication is that your emotions are not giving you information that's really important. Right. Even though I'm saying the words those that those feelings are important, I'm not actually walking the walk if I'm then describing coming into a place of thinking that is not your emotions. So well, sorry. Well, let me let me be even more specific, which is that when we regulate anxiety, which is a good thing to do, you know, because anxiety can be disruptive, right? That's what that's the difference between being emotional and emotionally intelligent, right? So people oftentimes don't use emotions wisely, and that's what gets them in trouble. They say the wrong things, they say hurtful things, they, you know, ruminate for six hours, you know, that's not helpful. But I think at the highest level, when we give ourselves the permission to feel, we acknowledge that we can, A, be with our anxiety and frustration, overwhelm, it doesn't have the power over us. And B, Mm -hmm. we can experience multiple emotions simultaneously, that I can be both anxious about what's happening in the world and also really excited to see some friends and family over the holidays. That's just interesting, even in the context of parenting. If you're saying to your kids, again, like I'm annoying in that way of restating Mm -hmm. in different ways, you know, I see you, Those let's figure out what those feelings are trying to tell us. Yeah. But then if you're simultaneously saying use your thinking brain as if that can't simultaneously include the feelings that are giving information, that's a real problem. 
Okay. Well, you know what? So, you know, the best thing to do is just get rid of those kind of dichotomous ways. Right. It's so, it's such a small way of thinking about it. Just like this binary experience, which are, you know, emotions are and feelings are thoughts and emotions. Right. So I think just. So it's not just about the experience, right? Ask yourself, is how I'm feeling? Is my experience, you know, helping me to have good relationships and have well-being or is what I'm thinking and feeling getting in the way, you know, and if it's getting in the way, I think the goal is not to dismiss the feelings, but kind of go deeper, unpack it, try to see, you know, where's my brain taking me and Mm -hmm. how can I go in a direction of greater self-acceptance? You know, I'm working with a, a relative of mine who is going through a lot right now, really, really having a tough time with friendships and you know depression and we spoke this weekend and it just had so much hopelessness and it was so heartbreaking and i tried to explain to him another principle that i think is so important to this work which is that experiences and emotions and life is impermanent and when it's a rainy day and your brain you know is saying not kind things to yourself around your sadness or despair or discouragement. It feels like a toothache that will never go away. And it was really interesting because he was pushing back on this. And I said, you know, I want you to think about the last year, not the last couple of days. Were there any sunny days? And he says, yes. And I said, well, let's talk about those for a minute. And then all of a sudden his vocal tone changed, his energy changed. And I said, so what I'm hearing is that you have had some sunny days. Right now, it's one of those really crappy rainy days. And so we have to remember that life is going to be filled with rainy days and sunny days. And so I checked in on him last night. And I just said, you know, just checking in and, you know, he's going to come visit me this week. And he goes, I have to be honest with you. Today was a pretty good day. And I said, well sounds like today was one of those sunny days. And he wrote back, yes, and thank you. You know, thank you for being there, you know, for me. And so that principle, I think, is so important for us. Because I can tell you, as someone who is like pretty knowledgeable of this stuff, you know, studies it and lives it and writes about it, I get activated quite easily. I think I'm one of those sensitive kind of people. I mean, I don't think so. I'm like, I'm like an orchid if there ever was an orchid that like needed like a lot of tending to. I'm one of those orchids. I ain't I ain't no dandelion. You're not a dandelion. No. And at fifty three, I'm like at fifty three I'm still an orchid. And and so I get I get what people go through and I'm empathic toward it because it can be really hard when you're biologically sensitive to the world. You know, you need support. Starting with parents who have more sensitive kids. I love the idea of just taking a moment to help us think through how can we be most supportive of orchids, for example, if we're a dandelion and we just don't understand how specific that sunlight, water, and soil needs to be. Like, mm-hmm. how do we, what are some of the strategies there? Great question. Well, so I've, I've basically outlined some core things like permission to feel right? No bad emotions. Be the compassionate emotion scientist, not the emotion judge. 
So then we have to describe parents, caretakers who are emotion scientists. What do they know how to do that's different than others? And that's where the skills of emotional intelligence come into play. So RULER is the acronym that I use to describe those skills. It's also the name of the approach to teaching emotional intelligence. It's now in 5,000 schools across the United States. I mean, side note, if it's not in your school, go to your school administration and say, hey, can we bring RULER into our school, please? Yes. Thank you. And so R stands for recognizing emotions, being self-aware, being you know, interpersonally or socially aware. That means like, what's going on in my body? What's going on in my brain? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What are the signals that my body, you know, are telling me? It's also being aware of facial expressions and body language and vocal tone and behavior of other people. But importantly, you know, I just want to say something that you said, I'm going to kind of build upon it, which is like behavior and feelings, you know, you can't behave, you got to, you know, monitor your behavior, you know, when you care how you feel. But one of the phrases that I like to use is that behavior is not emotion. Because, you know, as a kid, you know, you know, my story, you know, I was abused as a kid. And from the time I was five till I was nine, as a matter of fact, I just found in my new house and a folder in my basement, the papers from when I disclosed my sexual abuse as a child. And my mother saved all the newspaper clippings when the pedophile got arrested. Talk about bringing back memories from 44 years ago. But my behavior somehow or another was very, I was very good behaviorally speaking, masking my feelings. Even at five and six and seven years old, that's crazy when you think about it. Or, you know, my parents had their own kind of stuff they were handling. They just kind of misread the cues. It could be, it's probably a little bit of both. But nevertheless, people, especially nowadays, I'll just give you another example. I was in a school recently visiting kindergarten. And one little boy said to me, I don't like to share my feelings. I said, well, tell me more. He goes, I don't want to bother people. Yeah. So think about, that's five freaking years old. That boy has already internalized the idea, you know, that showing feelings is a bad thing. It's burdensome. Exactly. Yeah. That is not cool. And so my point is that that recognizing of emotion takes effort. It takes conversation. It takes intimacy and relationship building. The you of ruler is understanding of emotion. Why am I feeling this way? What caused my feelings? Where did it come from? Do I know the difference between what makes me feel disappointed versus angry? I would say that in my research, 99% of parents do not know the difference between anger and disappointment. 99% of parents don't don't know the difference between anxiety and stress. And most people don't, not just parents, because we're not taught this granularity, as it's called, an emotion. That anger is about injustice and disappointment is about unmet expectations. That anxiety is about uncertainty and stress is about having too many demands and not enough resources. And that really matters because when you label, which is the L of ruler, when you label feelings accurately, you're really communicating better. And then there's the E and the R, which is expressing and regulating. So. Am I safe? Is it comfortable? Can I trust the person in front of me to tell them how I really feel? Are they going to make fun of me? Are they going to judge me? Or are they going to support me? Do I know how to express it? And then the final one is the regulation. So what do I do in the end with these feelings? Knowing that we give ourselves permission to feel, we also need strategies. 
whether they're breathing exercises or cognitive strategies or social strategies or physical activity strategies, right? To learn how to use our feelings wisely. So that's ruler. And if I had it my way, every parent would be required to get a black belt and ruler before they had a kid. <laughs> I mean, we you can't leave the hospital without passing the certain, you have to watch certain videos. One about SIDS. You have to have a car seat check, shaken baby. These are requirements. It would be really wonderful if you had ruler included. It's not that arduous. No, and we will talk about in a moment. We have a new free app that is gorgeous and very comprehensive that we can give people for free. You know, these are the skills that are life's work, by the way. You know, basically, you know, as someone who has spent a lot of time as an orchid with kind of difficult experiences in life from abuse to bullying. I've had to spend a lot of time dealing with my feeling, our feelings. And even at 50, when the pandemic first came about, you know, know, I'm not used to working from home. I'm not used to my mother-in-law being around all the time and my partner being around. And we adopted two dogs, of course, like everybody did, you know, the university closed down. I'm working, you know, there were days where I was just sort of like, what is happening? And I struggled with my emotion regulation. You know, I used to go to yoga, like a hot yoga class, kind of five mm-hmm. days a week. Nobody's going to hot yoga in the middle of a pandemic. No. And so like, imagine doing all the breathing exercises in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to replace some of my strategies. And interestingly, as I'm saying this to you, one of the things, given that parents are a large audience for you, when I do these workshops for parents, oftentimes parents come with a mindset, you know, I want my kid to learn strategies to deal with their feelings. You know, I'm coming right. here to learn the five tips to be an emotionally intelligent parent. And Separate lead- from ourselves. Well, that you just, you just, you just stole my oh. punchline. No, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. It's good. You were thinking, it out. <laughs> which is that they leave thinking, oh, shoot, I got a lot of work to do on myself because they haven't had an emotion education. And I don't blame people. I'm not mad at people. I just, it's just that we need to acknowledge as adults that we have been deprived of a adequate education in emotions and emotional intelligence. And we got to catch up. You know, when you were talking about that five-year-old and how burdensome he, he felt it was to express feelings, or I can't remember the phrase that he used. He said, I don't want to bother people, which is what you... So, but when you think about that, and then you think about adults and how many adults have come to any of us at some point in their lives and possibly we've said it like, I don't want to bother you about this. Mm -hmm. Or like, I, you know, how are you? I'm, I'm not going to share how I am because how I am is going to be burdensome. And so it is lifelong work. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I was watching, I don't even know if I should say specifically what show I was watching the crown. And I was, what struck me about the crown and anything about the Royals in general, because I hadn't really been interested in that, was how passionate people are about how you're supposed to feel given your circumstances Mm -hmm. and how that was just like a constant running theme and continues to be throughout our tabloids and in life. And so even if you're like, all oh, that's not interesting, I'm, this is an intellectual conversation and 
I'm bringing up something kind of ridiculous, but mm-hmm. it is part of our culture to such an extent that, and we could probably name other popular television shows that people get really sucked into, but when they're talking about them, the discourse about the characters mm-hmm. is there's often times like instead of compassion, it's like, why are you such a, why are you such an orchid? Like you have everything. Why are you feeling this way? Or look at what I, we could talk about white Lotus. Like you could talk about any one of the shows that get people mm-hmm. like really reeling. I'm not, I don't, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know, but I have heard that like people get really deep into and like a sense of outrage mm-hmm. about how somebody feels. And so of course, culturally kids are getting the message because adults give the message because mm-hmm. we feel the message that feelings have a right or a wrong and a good and a bad it's unacceptable and so of course it's it's hard to imagine and actually it brings me to another question when people buy into feelings Mm -hmm. and believe in education that includes and parenting that includes feelings it's an easy conversation to have because even if you go in saying I really want these five steps that are going to make me emotionally intelligent parent Mm -hmm. to raise a kid who can thrive in this way. There's also this whole other group of people where I feel so much compassion because I hear, I hear this like, but how do I make sure my child, if given tools to understand their feelings and have permission to feel their feelings, how will they survive in this world? as if somehow expressing, processing, understanding, and being compassionate and then regulating your feelings is going to make it harder for you to survive in this cool, like cold, cruel world. So can you help us demystify sure. or de- un- whatever? I don't know what the question is, but I know you do. Yeah. Well, I, it's again, <laughs> it's a misguided understanding you know, of all the work on emotional intelligence, right? When you ask parents, what do you hope for your child? Not when they're five, but when they're, when your child is in their late twenties and thirties, like, what do you want for them? I don't know one parent that says, I want to make sure that my kid got perfect SAT scores and my kid has a perfect grade point average. And my kid took AP science or math or psychology. Nobody says that. What they say is I want my child to have good mental health. I want my child to find someone to love and to be loved. I want my child to have purpose and meaning in life. I want my child to feel fulfilled. And then I say, well, how much time do we spend on helping your child develop the skills they're going to need, right? To have purpose and meaning, to have positive, healthy relationships, to have well-being. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? And even my own students, you know, I teach at Yale, which is, you know, a top university. My students have come trained to not feel. Say more. Well, what happens, you know, is that they're trained that SAT scores, grade point averages, playing instruments that nobody ever heard of, having a CV that's more impressive than mine by the time they're Mm -hmm. 17 is the answer, right? And if it's the answer, then I guess the question I have is why has there been a 90% increase in the last five years for students seeking treatment for mental health challenges? Because, yes, if you want to get in, Maybe you can bust your butt and do all this stuff to get in. But I don't think most parents just want their kids to get in. I think they want their children to thrive and flourish and have 
good mental health and have good relationships. And so, and it also, by the way, brings up another kind of poor conception that it's an either or situation in terms mm-hmm. of development. Thank you. The, the point here, you know, is that building emotional intelligence throughout your development is going to help you be wiser, make better decisions, have better relationships, and actually perform your best. And here's another example. And so, you know, given I work at a place that only admits students with high scores, you would assume that they're all going to be super successful. But here's the deal. Here's what we know. It's like basketball. If you know anything about basketball, everybody's tall. So height is no longer a predictor of your success. Mm -hmm. Everybody's tall. So like that can't, there's no variation in that particular aspect of who you are. So it can't predict anything. And guess what? The same thing applies to cognitive abilities. You know, yes, having good cognitive ability is good for you, right? There's good research to show general intelligence is an important thing and it matters. However, it is insufficient to thrive in the world we're living in. Because here's what I've seen. I've seen the most creative and the smartest kids in the world, rich and poor, not achieve their dreams because they can't deal with their feelings. They can't deal with feedback. They can't deal with disappointment. They can't deal with the frustration or the anxiety that's all embedded into their coursework, into their studying habits, into the creative projects that they're trying to accomplish. And people give up way too soon or they get dissuaded from achieving a goal, not because of their ability to do the task, but their inability to deal with their feelings around the tasks. And so if that's not a strong case for emotional intelligence, then maybe I need to get a new career. But I just, I hope parents really think critically about, you know, as we say, you know, the whole child being developed. The only thing that I'm curious to share, I'm curious your take is kind of what you alluded to earlier, which is those kids for whom they appear to be thriving. They appear to be, you know, how many times do you hear somebody say they were bracing themselves for something to be very difficult, but their child seems to not even mention it and they're merrily rolling along. What are the risks, not to scare people, but more to inspire them that that there's still an opportunity to make sure that even those kids who seem super robust can have language in the household for this emotional intelligence or being emotion scientists. And, and of course, you also mentioned this before, but this is separate from the part where we're dealing with our own stuff and figuring this out for ourselves. But how do we name these things for those dandelions so that they also recognize that they're allowed to have feelings that they maybe just don't even know are possibilities? We often praise our kids for strengths that they have, and then they end up growing into things that they feel weighted down by the pressure to have that strength. Well, again, I think what's most important is that the integration of emotional intelligence into into parenting starts in the womb, you know, or at birth, you know, and goes on forever. This is not a one and done thing. It's not like, oh, we did, we taught empathy when my child, we talked about empathy when my kid was in kindergarten. Now, you know, he, she, they is the most empathic person in the whole world. That is not going to happen. This is like, you know, 
concepts revisited constantly. And so the mindset, again, if I'm only observing the outward behavior, I'm missing a lot of information. And so I can't tell you, you know, and you would know too, I'm on a on the board of a lot of mental health organizations and, you know, suicide prevention groups. And oftentimes it's the popular kid. It's the good looking kid. It's, you know, the academically gifted kid who, you know, very sadly decides to end their life. And, and so that tells us, you know, that our mental health, our well-being, right, is its own thing. And it needs to be addressed endlessly. Oftentimes, I think what happens, though, and I see this everywhere I go, is that parents take their kids' mental health seriously once the kid has the breakdown, once they know their kid yeah. is taking drugs, once they know their kid you know, has paralyzing anxiety or depression. Then all of a sudden, it's like, we'll put every money, all the money we have into treatment. And it's because we're just not taught to be a prevention-focused society. You know, we yeah. wait until bad things happen to deal with them, as opposed to thinking, I'm going to build resilience in my child. I'm going to help my child be self-aware and grow up with compassion and empathy, and perspective-taking skills. And so we're going to figure out ways to integrate that into the way we have breakfast. I'm going to do emotion check-ins at dinner. You know, we're going to have conversations about how we want to feel as a family. I'm going to be the role model. You know, I do this little exercise when I do talk sometimes. You know, when I was ki a kid, my father, who was, had a lot of anger problems and other issues, he would come home and I would like to, hey, daddy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Son, you know, leave me alone. I've had a bad day, you know, or, you know, go to your room. Or he would just, you know, do his thing, watch TV, drink a beer. As opposed to a, a father who may come home and the son may be like, maybe a little annoying or whatever it might be. <laughs> You know, they want to go out for dinner or they want to do something. They want to go do this. So the kid, father doesn't want to do it because he's irritable. And he says, you know, honey, daddy had a really rough day at work. And I actually got into an argument, a bad argument with one of my closest colleagues. And I said something that was not kind. And I've been, I'm really upset about it that I said that. And I've been thinking, you know, all the way home about what I'm going to do tomorrow to apologize and I really like this guy and I want to repair our relationship. And so, honey, if I look a little off tonight, I just want you to know it has nothing to do with you. It's just that I'm, I'm in a little bit of a bad place. I'm trying to work through, you know, this, this, this challenge. Okay. So just want you to know that. How many parents put effort into explaining their affect, explaining their behavior in a way that is teachable to their child? So what I've done in that situation is just think about it. it was one not even a minute right what i've done is a daddy has strong feelings b daddy makes mistakes c daddy is empathic and compassionate and thinks about people you know e daddy tries to figure out solutions to problems f daddy's comfortable sharing his processing of difficult situation with other people i mean it's a lot of implicit learning and this has nothing to do with you, whom exactly. I love, my child whom I love. Yes. And so that's the kind of work that I encourage parents to do is process sometimes out loud with their kids. If it's, you know, if it's healthy, right? You don't want to say, you know, mommy's having a rough time with daddy and she's going to sleep with the mailman tomorrow. Right? Like, <laughs> Thank you for you know, clarifying. Yeah, exactly.
Yeah. So, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm joking. It's not, no, but I think it's actually worth saying that it's not to the extreme level of like sharing with kids things that they really don't need to know, but it's more no. the everyday experiences that we have that kids are going to pick up on our affect anyway. And so now you're just naming and processing. <clears throat> exactly. And it's being the role model. So much of the development of emotional intelligence is through the healthy role modeling of the adults. As another potential, you know, just to clarify, it's the onus is not on the child then to take care of dad in that moment. It's just to be aware that if it's like you said, if I seem off or a little bit, I forget the word that you used. Whatever. That's fine. Yeah. No, that's a really good point that you're making, which is that I'm also sharing the strategy that I'm using. This is both as a leader of an organization, as a manager, as a husband, as a parent. And so I may even say, you know, honey, it's going to, you know, I'm in a little bit of an uncomfortable place because of the fight I had with my colleague. It's important for you to know this has nothing to do with you. And I just need a little bit of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, you know, sit by myself for a half hour and journal. Mm -hmm. Just just think about what I'm going to say tomorrow. And then, you know, over dinner, we can play a game together, you know, or we can, you know, even chat about it if you want. And maybe I'll share with you what I came up with. And so what I'm doing in that moment is saying, I have strong feelings. I make mistakes. I'm solution focused. I'm okay talking about it. I'm not asking you to take care of me. And I'm going to try to use a healthy strategy to fix the whole thing. And I'm going to share that with you eventually. All in under a minute. All in under a minute. And some people say, I don't got time for this. I'm like, it's because you don't know it. You know, you don't understand it. Once you understand it, it becomes automatic. Now, with that said, this is really hard. And when we're triggered in our relationships, our, sometimes our worst selves come out. You know, I joked with you a little while ago, but my mother-in-law is visiting us. The last time she was here was two and a half years ago because of the pandemic. But she came March 1st, 2020 for a family wedding. She lives in Panama. And just so you know, there were no flights back to Panama for seven months. And so we thought she was going to be with us for a month, which was typical. And it ended up being like a lifetime. And there was one night during the pandemic, I was just like, I am done. I'm done. Like I can't, I'm just like burnt. I'm tired. I'm irritable. I don't want to eat the same food anymore with you. I don't want to drink coffee with you in the morning. I don't, I'm going to run away. And we had a little bit of a falling out. Everybody, it was a, one of those moments in the family. Maybe you remember having one of those. Yeah. And she looked at me and in Spanish, which I'm lucky enough to speak with intense emotions. She basically said, are you really the director of the center for emotional intelligence? <laughs> and I looked at her in my heightened anger and I said, not tonight. And it was a mess. And so I want to just say, you know, and maybe this is a nice way to close is that, you know, I wrote this book called Permission to Feel because I felt that parents and teachers and everyone needed to generate a new mindset about feelings, that emotions are data. There's no good or bad emotions. We can be compassionate scientists and we can develop the skills. But with permission to feel comes permission to fail. And 
we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get triggered. We're going to get activated. We're going to say the things that we don't want to say. And that's not the worst thing ever either, because that gives us the opportunity to apologize. It gives us the opportunity to forgive and ask for forgiveness. And it gives us the opportunity to, to learn and grow. And so for me, you know, that was a moment of deep introspection, a moment of deep, you know, wonder, like, why did you allow that to happen? Why did you say what you said? You know, how do you want to show up tomorrow morning? What are you going to do differently when you come down for coffee in the morning? And I decided to remember that I am the director of the Center for Emotional Intelligence. <laughs> and I do have a lot of strategies and apply, you know, what we call a growth mindset to my own ability to deal with feelings in my relationships. And so I just think that life is about moving forward, not backward. You know, I will argue based on life experience and 25 years of scientific research that at this point in time, it is our moral obligation to ensure that our kids get a healthy emotion education. Mm. And, and what that tells us also, and parents just listen to what I got to say here, <laughs> is that if that's true, which it is true, and you can argue as much as you want against me, then it really is our moral obligation to be the best possible role models for them. And so with that, you know, my hope is that everyone listening will strive to be a compassionate emotion scientist and find ways to drop that critical emotion judge out of their lives and that people will, you know, either read my book if they're interested in that, Permission to Feel, or download our app, which we're super excited about. Apple award-winning app called How We Feel, which is free to help you build your emotional vocabulary and have greater well-being, and then practice this stuff for the rest of your life. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.